This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharif Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Dr. John DeMartini is a world-renowned specialist in human behavior. A mental health professional, he helps people across the world to make sense of their apparently chaotic environment. In this regard, he consults to business leaders and the corporate sector as well as individuals, many of whom subsequently describe that experience as life-changing. Dr. Martini, welcome. DeMartini, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. So you have been in South Africa to run a number of um, workshops. But before we get into the exact work that you do, can you tell me a little bit about what led you to the path that you're now in? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, the one-minute version of my life. Uh, when I was 17 years old, I had a close brush with almost dying. And shortly after that, I had the opportunity to attend a little class. I was living in Hawaii at the time. And I met one man one night who spoke for one hour, and he had one message. And he said that we have a body, we have a mind, and we have a soul. And the body must be directed by the mind and the mind must be guided by the soul to maximize who we are as a human being on earth. And that it's wise for us to set goals for ourselves, our family, our community, our city, our state, our nation, our world and beyond for at least 100, 120 years. And nobody ever talked to me like this. I was uh, at that time a high school dropout and I was living in Hawaii in a tent. And that night was the first night I actually believed that I could overcome my learning problems because I had speech problems and learning problems. And I had a dream to overcome them and become a teacher. And I had a dream to travel the world and teach. And that was the beginning of it. And that's 46, almost 40, November will be 47 years. So let's go back a little bit. You had a near-death experience, meaning you were living on the streets at the time? Uh, well, I was living in the tent at the time. <laughs> uh, I had been living on the streets uh, from age 13 to about age 17, 18. So you had a rough, rough childhood. I don't want to go to extremes by saying it's rough because there was some fun and there was, there was both in, in, in teenagers living on the streets. There was fun and there was craziness, but there was also danger and challenge. It Did you a, run away from home? Not exactly. I had a very unique situation because I had learning problems. My parents saw that I wasn't going to make it in school and they saw that I was really good in, in sports and particularly surfing. And surfing in Texas wasn't the best place to do it. And so I told him I wanted to go to California. And those days in the 60s, it was not uncommon for kids to hitchhike and go places. So I, I went off to California, and then I went to Mexico, and then I went off to Hawaii to ride the biggest waves in the world. And so I was a surf kind of a you know, hippie Which surfer. is a good kind of lifestyle. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I, I, so I can't say it was that terrible. There were dangerous moments. There were scary moments. There was rough moments. But there was also... In, Amazing things. I met amazing people. I met Howard Hughes when I was uh, living on the street. And that was the, the person who gave the talk with regard to no, mind, body, and soul. No, that was a different man. He, okay. he, he did give me advice. He said, there's never, you know, he said, he took me to a library and he said, I want you to remember these two things I'm about to teach you. Never judge a book by its cover and learn to read because he saw I couldn't read. Learn how to read because there's only two things they can never take away from you, and that is your love and wisdom. So you gain the wisdom of love and the love of wisdom, because those are the immortals. The rest of its stuff is, can be taken from you. And so I'd, I had some in, in, in amazing experiences as a street kid, but I also had some you know challenging moments where I had to go and find food and things like this. But So I don't want to make it all look like it was all terrible, because that wouldn't be true. Um, 
Dr. Demartini, you heard the words and you wanted to become a teacher. It must be quite difficult from moving from a kind of lifestyle of surfing to becoming to what you are today, one of the most renowned human behavioralist motivational speaker. Well, you know, I, when I think of myself, I think I'm just a man on a mission. All kind of people give me all kind of labels and names. I'm just a man that is grateful that I have the opportunity to learn how to read, learn how to, to learn and research and share it with people. And so that's what I do. I'm a, I, I read and I share. I mean, it's really that simple. And I love doing that. But I did have challenges because I, I didn't really learn how to read until I was 18. And I thank my mother because I try, I took a GED, high school equivalency test and then, and somehow by guessing I passed, literally guessing passed. And the same thing for a college exam. I was, I really felt that there was some sort of divine intervention because I, I wasn't even knowing what the wording was in half the questions. And I just went with my intuition and I passed this thing. But then I took my first college class and I failed. I got a 27. I needed a 72 to pass. And I almost gave up on my dream when I was right at 18. And it, I was crying in the living room and my mom came up to me and she said, son, what happened? What's wrong? And I said, mom, I blew the test. I guess I don't have what it takes. I guess I'll never be able to read, write, communicate, never amount to thing, never go very far in life, which is what my first grade teacher told my parents, that he'll never do it. And my mom looked at me and she didn't know what to say. And she put her hand on my shoulders and she said, son, whether you become a great teacher and philosopher and travel the world like you dream, whether you return to Hawaii and ride giant waves like you've done, or you return to the streets and panhandle as a bum, I just want to let you know that your father and I are going to love you no matter what. In that moment, my hand went into a fist. I looked up and I saw a vision of me speaking in front of a big audience. And I said to myself, I'm going to amass this thing called reading and learning and, and studying. I'm amass this thing called teaching, healing, and philosophy. And I'm going to do whatever it takes, travel whatever distance, and pay whatever price to give my service of love. And I made a determination that was a no-turning-back moment. And I hugged my mom and I went in my room and I got a book out called A Dictionary. A Funk and Wagnall's Dictionary. And I started making a memorization of 30 words a day. My mom tested me on 30 words a day on spelling, pronunciation, and use in a sentence until my vocabulary was strong enough where I could pass school. And then from there on out, my determination to want to learn grew. And I just started reading and reading and reading and reading. And then when I was about to turn 19, my mom said, what do you want for your birthday? Because you're born on Thanksgiving Day. And I said, Mom, I want the greatest teachings on the face of the earth, the greatest writings that have ever been written by human beings. Sure, you don't want a T-shirt? <laughs> and then she had my uncle send, who was a professor at MIT, he sent two giant six-by-six-by-six-foot wooden crates on a flatbed truck to our home, and they unloaded them on the, on the ground. I went out with a crowbar and opened them up, and there were thousands, and I mean thousands of books, and I just filled my room with books, and I just lived in books. And I wanted to catch up with everybody else. And I wanted to learn to read. So I've never stopped reading. And I just can't wait to share whatever I get to read and learn. Whoever will listen. At first, it was whoever would listen. I think let's go back there. Because I, to me, when I see images of you talking to thousands of people, and um, even just walking up to the studio, people coming up to you and saying, you've changed my life. I know I have friends that say the same thing. And I just want to know... For those who are out there who want to fulfill their dreams, how do you take that step? 
Well, how did you take that step? Well, it was a, a step-by-step process. I just figured I'm just going to keep reading and keep learning. And and what happened was, an Afro-American woman came up to me and asked me to teach her something. And then a Persian man came up to me and asked him to teach him something. And then a whole class got out and asked me to tutor him on something. And it just organically started happening. By the time I was at the University of Houston, I was doing meditation under these trees. I was my my spiritual practice was a meditation every day. And I'd sit in the, in the sun and, and I, and I, people gathered around and started asking me questions. And sometimes we'd have a hundred to 150. It swells up to 400 sometimes at lunch when I was 20. 400 people would gather around and start asking questions and wondering what was going on. And it just kept growing from there and it started going the city, the state, the nation, the world. It, organic opportunities just came. I didn't even have, know anything about marketing. I didn't try to promote it. I just, it just was organically happening. And so I felt like it was a, a calling. I don't know how to describe it. I felt that there's, you know, I, I used to say, I'm, I'm the vision, I'm the vision, God's the power, we're the team. I don't know how to describe it, but I just felt like that was my, it was my destiny to do what I'm doing. And, and I feel that way and I love doing it. And you, you made it, you, you described yourself earlier as a man on a mission. And one of your missions was to learn, to read, to, I want to, to learn. Gain I wanted wisdom. to be a man of wisdom. And, um, those books obviously inspired you, but, to what extent did those books resonate with your own personal experience of your first former 18 years? Well, you know, when I was, I don't know if it would be appropriate to say some of the things I got to experience, but um, I was what I was becoming street smart, I think, when I was a teenager, because I noticed that when all of a sudden my parents had a notarized piece of paper saying, my son is not a runaway. He's a boy on a mission. When I was 14, I had that document and they dropped me off on the freeway and said, go live your dream. You want to ride biggest waves in the world, go ride them. And so I hitchhiked to California and I made it to California and I lived as a street kid in California surfing every day. And then I made it to Hawaii. And um, so I, I learned that nothing was missing, that when I didn't have my mom and dad there, I ended up having other forms of moms and dads show up. And I started kind of having this faith and trust that somehow everything was provided. I don't know how to describe it. But everything that I needed appeared. Sometimes it would be not at the moment I expected it. But I somehow was always at the right place to meet the right people. And it, it gave me a, a confidence or a trust that, you know, if you pursue what it is that you really are inspired to do, somehow synchronicities start happening and things happen in your life. To this day, I still believe that. And um, it has been emerging throughout my life for the last 47 years. So you, as I've said, have traveled the world. I know you've worked in areas of conflict resolution. Um, I know you've touched on Ireland. Um, we're heading towards the Middle East. I know about that too. Uh, is there, essentially, are there cultural differences that you've experienced that make certain countries more easy or more um Influence, uh, easy to be influenced by you or for you to talk to. I'm struggling for the right word. Well, you know, in 2016, I, I, I you know, in, in 1982, October 12th at 2 a.m. in the morning, I had a vision, a dream in meditation that, and I, I heard in my head, that, and they came the world over, and the year was 2054. And I wrote it down, and it was very lucid. And, and I, and I had a dream then I, that I wanted to be able to go to every country and have students in every country. Now a lot of people have goals and dreams, but I wrote that down. 
But in 2016, now with social media, we have documented that we have students in every country. Oh. So we've reached it. But what's happened is um, when I go to countries, you know, it's easy to be kind of um, live in our amygdala and be proud and project our values onto people. And then if those people's values don't match ours, we think there's something they need fixing or they're wrong or whatever. But the real truth is that every human being that I've met, they have a unique set of priorities and values. And their culture is a culmination of that. And they're not right or wrong. They're just unique. And if I care enough to study their culture a bit and get to understand what their values are and then ask how does their values help me fulfill mine and how does mine help fulfill theirs, I can respectfully communicate. And I've never seen a culture that hasn't been receptive if I respect their, their value systems. So I don't think there's anything but human beings trying to fulfill their lives everywhere. And they may have difference of value. But in a family, all the children have different values. <laughs> if you look at the summation of all the values in a the family, they're kind of complementary opposites in many cases. They're like antiparticles in there. So, you know, and there's clashes at times. but And there's going to be clashes at times. But at the same time, if we ta- stop and learn to communicate what we value what inspires us in terms of what inf- values other people have in their values and what inspires them. Amazing communications can occur. And so I have students in every culture, every country. So uh, let's look at South Africa because I know you have a Demartini Institute in South Africa. What does the institute here do? Well, you know, I'm a research guy and I read every day and I just try to share information. So we have educational. It's mainly an educational curriculum. And so I'm a, I, I'm gathering research from specialists around the world, and I'm trying to disseminate that information the best I can. And their job is to uh, do whatever we can to help that. So we, we have media. We go on media. We do podcasts. We do uh, seminars. We do uh, consulting. We do um, education for kids in schools. Um, sometimes we do mediations. Whatever will be of service to the society, we try to do what we can and share human behavioral insights that can help that. That's it. Uh, Dr. DeMartini, um, you read in a way so we don't have to. You take the knowledge that is out there and you take it into real-life situations. I know you help people with in the corporate world, in the business world, relationships, family dynamics. Have you ever been on a course where you have had like a paradigm shift because of something that has happened to you that has made you think, wow, th- this has challenged everything I've ever believed and have spoken about for the last 40 years? Well, you know, I, I can't say really that, but what I have done is I I wanted to study the ologies. I, I made a list of every ology that was known in 1973. So I went to the dictionary and encyclopedia and I looked up every discipline and ology. And I, and I had a belief that if I could find the most universal principles and universal laws that were applicable in every ology and discipline... I would have the biggest, the greatest foundation of knowledge to present. So I discovered when I did that, that in almost every ology, there was the dialectic. There was the pairs of opposites of beliefs inside it. And so by looking at that, I thought, well, if one is, it can't be right and the other one wrong, it, it can't be that all the time. So I tried to find a synthesis between pairs of opposites. And so by the time I would be confronted by something, I would just look for its opposite and I wouldn't be shocked by it. And that really helped me understand that some people have very polarized and strong kind of absolute belief systems and others are more synthesized and more flexible and more adaptable and resilient. 
And as a result of it, when I see a, a, a shocking response, I immediately look for evidence on the opposite side. And it calms it. In the same person? It, or in, a, in, a, in the same person? Or in a, a relationship with that person? Well, what usually what I find is that many people are blind to their own nature. We sometimes get biased and we, and we think that there's a one-sidedness. But I, when I look par- carefully, if, I went to the Oxford Dictionary. This is 34 years ago. And I went through page by page, neurotically, because I'm pretty neurotic that way. And I looked for every trait or action that a person could display that was a human behavioral trait in it. I found 4,628 traits. I went through each one. I circled them. And then I thought, who do I know in my life that explain, that displays that trait to the most extreme? And I write their name there. And then I looked inside myself, and I made myself committed to, to where and when do I display that trait until I can own it as much as I see in them. And I discovered I had every trait. I was kind. I was cruel. I was nice. I was mean. I was honest. I was dishonest. I was open. I was closed, stingy, generous. I was cruel. You know, I had every one of those traits. And then I realized that there was, if I saw it as, if I first judged it to be negative, I thought it would have gone extinct if it didn't serve. So I got to discover how it served. So I would look for how it did serve. And then I calmed down my judgments from highly polarized states to realize that we're human beings, and in different settings, I need those behaviors. Mm. 